0: Episode 20, talking about direct subscription models with Ali Zaman from DocsApp. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know, talking. Relentlessly seeking value. While most in the healthcare industry are trying to figure out how to retool the existing infrastructure in order to produce better healthcare outcomes. There is a small spark of a movement which is thinking, you know, relative to primary care in, in any case. Maybe we should go back to basics and reconsider the entire structure of how we are doing business. This is what my guest today, Ali Zaman, is focused on with his company, DocSap. What DocSap does is support the direct subscription model, which is basically a direct connection between physicians and patients, which gets rid of the insurance middleman. It's a really innovative way to to look at things and definitely has a lot of advantages. Certainly there's a lot to be worked out, but as far as does it make practical common sense, kind of does. So with that, help me welcome Ali Zaman to the program today. Welcome to Relentless Health Value, Ali. Thank you. Thank you. Before we get into Docs app and talk about yourself, which of course we need to do because you are the star today. Let's, let's cover a couple of glossary terms because I feel like if we don't have a kind of vocabulary baseline, we're, we're going to get a little bit lost. So what is a direct subscription model?
1: Right. So direct primary care is this new payment model where primary care practices won't bill your insurance and they don't operate fee for service. So instead, they'll charge you an affordable monthly fee for comprehensive services that go way beyond the traditional role of a primary care doctor. So benefits typically include, you know, unlimited appointments, 24-7 physician access, house visits, same-day appointments, and the list goes on. In addition, there, there's usually no waiting times. Appointments are really long. There's a focus on preventive health. Some doctors will create a personalized wellness program for you, and each patient gets like a lot more special attention because the patient bases are so small for those practices. The number of practices using this model has has gone through the roof in the past four years, and that's mainly because the cost to bill insurance. It's just too expensive. you need you need to hire an additional medical biller. Um, it's It's extremely complicated and coding systems are really hard to figure out. It's just inefficient. you know you're you're spending so much time on just getting paid. It's a real pain to deal with these insurance companies. So it makes a lot of sense. You're basically incentivizing the physician in all the right ways and allowing them to get paid for things that fee for service doctor can't get paid for.
0: So it sounds like it's got some patient advantages in that the patient doesn't have to wait for a visit. They get kind of um, an array of services that they might not receive with a regular fee for service doctor. And then on the provider side, there's a lot less administrative work, which can the time can be spent a little bit more wisely on patient care instead of billing.
1: Does it exactly exactly? It's like concierge, but more affordable.
0: Well, I was that was going to be my next question. Actually, that does sound a lot like concierge the concierge service model. So, you know, what, what's the difference?
1: Right. So, and the differentiation is really important. And that's something these doctors are trying to emphasize. So the, the main trend with concierge is that they bill insurance on top of a retainer fee. For example, MDVIP, they charge $1,500 a year and they bill insurance every time a patient is seen by the doctor. I think a lot more practices that originally identified with concierge are now saying that they're direct primary care because they don't bill insurance. They do charge a monthly fee, but they want to make it something that's accessible and affordable. So concierge is typically seen as something for high-income celebrities or solely for the wealthy, and what it's becoming, it's, it's, it's really opening up for everyone and becoming quite mainstream.
0: What is the difference that the patient
1: sees? So on the patient side... Well, it's more affordable for the patient. They don't pay excessive subscription fees. And also, they don't get their insurance bills, So they're not responsible for co-payments and things like that.
0: Oh, I get it. So if I go to see or a doctor comes to see me in a direct subscription model... Then my monthly fee will cover everything that goes on about that that visit. Exactly. Whereas exactly. if I go to a concierge, I not only have to pay my subscription fee, but I also have to pay the copay or whatever my insurance is demanding for that visit as well.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: Got it. Okay. Let's get into DocZap, which is the company that you, you you founded. How do you guys fit into this?
1: We developed an online marketplace for subscription-based primary care where patients can visit our website, docsapp.com, search for direct primary care plans offered near them, and then purchase a plan that that they like with a credit card. And we make it really easy. And then any patient that purchases a plan, monthly payments are sent directly to the doctor's bank account. It's completely free to use, and we also help market these practices and help them get patients.
0: Basically, I log on to Mm docsapp.com, and a box pops up that says type in your zip code. Right. Mm-hmm. I type my zip code in and then all of the doctors who are near me right will appear. Could you just, you know, like when we we talk about direct subscription model, I'm assuming there's more than one way that doctors go about this. Could you talk about the different Like,
1: what what does the direct subscription model look like? Typically, they'll charge—some doctors will use a mix of this. There's a startup fee, which is paid once to start your membership. Then there's a monthly membership fee. And then there's a copay paid at each appointment. The purpose of the startup fee is to prevent a patient from just buying one month and then leaving. Uh, A monthly fee is just paid on a recurring basis to keep the services going. And then a copay is to prevent overuse. So it might be 5 or $10 per appointment, not to prevent access, but just to prevent overuse. Um, so doctors will typically mix and match. I mean, you search on our website. Um, the first thing that comes up is the different pricing schemes, because that's usually the most important decision for patients to make. And after you see the pricing scheme, you can you can click on a doctor and look at their benefits, the pricing for different ages, where they're located, and how to contact them, and the ability to purchase. So um it's a really simplified pricing model compared to what what's already around.
0: It does sound very transparent. Like if mm-hmm. I'm a patient, I can see exactly what I'm going to be paying right up front as opposed to, you know, I go to the doctor and then randomly get a bill for things I didn't realize were not covered.
1: <laughs> yeah. And you also see what you're getting. I mean, it, it, we just list the benefits right there. Routine clinic visits, 24-7 physician access, house visits. There's a list and you'll see exactly what you're paying for.
0: So if I'm a physician, how, how would I go about thinking about figuring out what my personal model is? I'm assuming that this is an individual doctor's decision when they sign up for, for
1: DocsApp. Right. So they'll usually decide what they're able to offer with the patient base that they have. I mean, if, they're, if they have a thousand patients, it might be hard to offer house visits, but they can offer it at a lower price. Then some doctors will have 600 patients, they can offer more benefits, they can offer free labs, so they might have a higher monthly price than the next guy. So the whole point of DocsApp is for patients to be able to compare one practice with the practice down the street that they didn't know existed. I mean, it's really difficult to find these subscription-based practices right now. I mean, if you try and look on Google, all you'll pull up is like articles on how this model is becoming really big, but no one can find these practices. So we just made it extremely user-friendly and super easy to find these practices and find what they're offering and at what cost.
0: If I'm a physician, you know, and I'm suffering from burnout and all the different things that we always hear, or I'm I'm realizing that I've got a couple of choices to make and I don't want to go work for a large group practice, I really want to stay solo, and this is starting to sound like an option, Mm -hmm. how do I is there a way that on the, the the back end that your system helps the doctors evaluate the financial implications of moving to this model? Or could, they, could a doctor do this at the same time that they're also operating as
1: fee-for-service? Exactly. So um, we actually don't provide guidance. Guidance is a big thing when transitioning your practice from fee-for-service to subscription-based because there's so many legal hurdles. You don't want to get audited by insurance companies. And you really have to seek very good legal counsel on how to make the transition and make sure you're not breaking any rules. And then you also want to talk to any direct primary care doctor that that's doing it successfully. You should want to get advice from them. But a, a bunch of practices that we're working with are transitioning from fee for service, and they're they you know they're posting their practice details on our website and and pricing, and they're starting to accept membership pa- uh, patients. It's a lot of doctors transitioning, not just starting from scratch.
0: Right. And I can see there's a lot of, you know, obviously environmental factors, which would make it which would, you know, make it a much an appealing option that there's a lot of things that you can forego when you have a direct financial relationship with your patient as opposed to having these colossal middle people. Right. Um, you know, insurance in, in the middle there. So let's circle back to to you for a sec, Ali. Why did you start this? You know, what was the, you know, were you sitting eating your Wheaties your one morning and decided to start DocsApp? Right. How did so, this happen?
1: Um, so I'm a Master of Public Health student at Brown, and I was really interested in payment reform and healthcare. And I happened to meet a, a direct primary care doctor, and she was telling me about this whole movement going on so I did my research and I thought it was really amazing that basically a lot of primary care doctors came together and they took payment reform into their own hands. And it made so much sense to me over the current fee-for-service model. I mean, I don't know how doctors would have stayed alive on $20 reimbursements for basic office visits. I mean, that's, it's just difficult to imagine. So I, I wanted to develop an easier way for patients to find these subscription-based practices basically bring all direct primary care practices onto one platform where patients can search and buy and doctors could get paid all in, all in one site. So we just launched our prototype a couple months ago and it, it's gotten great feedback.
0: That's fantastic. So obviously you've got a lot going on in your life. I mean, you're getting yeah. your master's. Yeah. Are you working with um, a group of others?
1: You know, who's building your, your technology platform? Yeah, so it's, it's a team of uh, students from Brown. That's awesome. And we also have a uh, Rhode Island School of Design, and we can get a designer from there. She, uh, we had a designer design our whole website and made made the UI. So it's it's super helpful. It's a good combination.
0: So how did your your public policy background really contribute to that? I mean, aside from the fact that you met a, a primary care doctor and right. obviously were able to assess the need. Do you see things that you picked up relative to public policy playing a role in the impetus to start this company at
1: all? Yeah, I'm taking a bunch of courses in public health that have definitely contributed. I mean, one of my classes is creating efficiency and improving quality in healthcare. And that's just going over exactly my next class. I have to read papers on how fee for service is dying and other payment models are coming to the picture. So it's definitely like it definitely forced me to read literature that I probably wouldn't have read. And I'm, I'm definitely learning a lot because the courses are perfectly complementary to what I'm trying to achieve with this. So it's, it's helpful.
0: Do you have any insight on how the death of fee-for-service and, and a rise of a direct subscription model is going to improve the, the quality of care?
1: Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, um, if you incentivize doctors properly, you'll see see better outcomes, better quality of care, more satisfaction from the patient, a happier doctor. The system, the fee-for-service system just doesn't, isn't doing anyone any favors. I mean, if a doctor messes up his procedure, the doctor is going to get paid. Patient comes back and says, you messed up. I wasn't feeling better. Doctor treats again. Doctor gets paid again. Doctor gets paid twice as much as the doctor who did it right the first time. It, it just it really doesn't make much sense the way it is right now. And it's it's going to be completely different in 10 years. This is definitely like a, a, a start, a, a move in the right direction.
0: So h- how would a direct subscription model properly incent a physician?
1: You're paying a a monthly fee um, as a patient. You're paying one monthly fee and you're getting a a variety of benefits. So the first thing is doctors aren't getting paid on volume. They can bring their patient base down to 600 patients, which is an amount that they can effectively handle and they can see. They can see each patient for, you know, 45 minutes, an hour. There are really no limits because they're getting paid the same. So basically you'll see. Uh, lower volume, which is better quality of care. The doctors will know their patients' names, their families, and they can keep track of their health. So if there is ever an emergency and the doctor gets a call, they know how to help right away, and they don't have to sift through 3,000 patient records to do this. And also, these doctors are uh, much more technology savvy. They're younger. There's just a different feel in the office in a direct primary care practice. They're not seeing 30 patients a day. They feel compensated because they get paid a monthly fee so they can handle appointments through text, through emails, through phone calls, through video chats for one fee. And uh, it's just, it's more money for the doctor and it's better care for the patient. And it's not about uh, making more money for the doctor. It's just about making more money of the care that they charge. So they're not losing out on administrative costs. There's no 40% loss. It's all going to the doctor.
0: What does the structure of a of a direct subscription physician office look like? I mean, obviously, there's no coders sitting in the back,
1: but is there, you know, nurses and PAs, or is it right? So that's it's interesting. So there's definitely like a different feel overall. Um, they use technology a lot more efficiently, and considering that the number of primary care doctors, a significant number, still don't use electronic medical records, which is scary. But these doctors definitely are more technology savvy. Um, You won't wait more than five, 10 minutes in a waiting room, which are usually empty because a patient base is like a a fifth of a fee-for-service doctor. So the doctors aren't rushed. You can sit back, you know, for 45 minutes and tell the doctor, you know, everything that's related to health and wellness. There sometimes are nurses at these bigger practices and networks, but a lot that we're dealing with are micro practices, so they're the only, they're the only staff in the office, just the doctor. So there's very little overhead, and it's 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 better for the patient because the patient they feel like there's nothing, there's no restrictions between them and their doctor. Um, there's no middle person, and it, it really contributes to that feeling. Yeah, there's really nothing holding the patient back, and it's it's a totally different experience.
0: It kind of reminds me of the the business model that maybe, for example, psychologists have or other kinds of counselors or therapists where you you go to an office and there's a front desk and there's kind of nobody sitting at it, maybe, you know, Um, and you kind of walk in for your appointment and then there's, um, do do you get the sense that maybe a number of primary care doctors are going to get together
1: like psychologists do? Yeah, sure. I think that primary care is only going to survive if you reduce your overhead, Uh, solo primary care. So I think it's pretty essential that you don't waste money on on staff that you really don't need to provide patient care. So if you don't need your medical bill, or if you don't need a secretary because your patient base is so small and you can handle it, you know, you're, you're really just providing the best patient care that you can. And, you, you know, patients of these plans aren't really looking at their doctor like we look at our doctor, at our fee-for-service doctor. They look at them like their coach, right, their wellness coach their nutritionist, their dietician, their, the primary care doctor is now handling so many things and, and patients want a lot more out of their doctor as well. So it's, 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 uh, it's moving towards primary care doctors, you know, they treat 90% of the problems, but we really don't see that. But now under these membership plans, they can really work to their full potential and provide everything that they could, that they couldn't as a fee for service doctor.
0: So I'm assuming if I'm a patient, I do need some other kind of insurance, though. I mean, I might not need insurance that covers low deductible or anything like that, but I'm I'm assuming that there are certain things which are outside the purview of a primary care physician, which I'm still going to need insured for.
1: Yeah, so definitely, um, I think every single doctor out there will recommend some form of catastrophic insurance, but those deductibles are just have gone through the roof. I mean, for the bronze plan, it was $5,000. And, and you know, the premiums aren't that cheap either. But it's definitely necessary. I mean, you can't uh, you can't really, you'll never know if you, you'll need to fill it up. It, it, paying for these membership plans actually saves money because the average American sees their doctor four to five times a year. That can run almost $1,000 per year if you're paying per appointment at a fee-for-service doctor on care that is probably inadequate. So the, the annual cost on, on a membership plan for the same price of what you're paying for, for service annually can get you concierge-like services. And, and these doctors aren't, aren't losing out on those payments. So it's just it's better for the patient, better for the doctor to buy into these plans. But definitely, it's always strongly recommended that you, you need some form of uh, catastrophic insurance.
0: And how does it work typically for, for pharmaceutical products? In other words, if someone is taking a bevy of prescriptions a month, obviously that wouldn't be covered in uh, the subscription model. So that would have to be paid for separately. How does that typically work?
1: Right. A lot of the doctors we're working with actually offer um, whole, uh, medications at wholesale prices and also free labs and like discounted imaging. But the, the, the health insurance will usually cover any like significantly priced pharmaceuticals. Basically, you'd have to meet your deductible and then- um, Well, for for pharmaceuticals, I think it's different. You have like uh, a max, I'm not sure how it works, but there's, there's definitely a cap.
0: So it just would be important as a patient to make sure that you understood what was or was not covered on your subscription model and then made sure that any gaps were covered by your insurance.
1: Of course, but when it comes to primary care, they they'll cover typically everything. They go above and beyond what you'd expect.
0: Sounds like a lot of physicians are really working hard to create their own vertical networks that include, as you said, discounts on lab services or or wholesale pharmaceuticals. I mean that. Oh yeah. Doctors are doing a little bit of homework here.
1: Yeah, they're just for trying to provide the best value for the patient. You know, um, so they can work with. Uh, you know, uh, their partner lab station, or they'll have their in-house labs. They can partner with an imaging center. And then the imaging center will give those doctors, patients discounted services. And then they'll order medications for wholesale and not profit off them. They'll just give them to the patients at that wholesale price. So it's definitely, they're just trying to create as much value for the patient as they can. They're really on the same team, the doctor and the patient. Let's just talk about this relative to bundled payments for a sec.
0: You know, why not bundle payments?
1: Bundle payments is basically a reimbursement for for an episode of care on what the payer will think the expected cost will be for that amount of care, right? So so if someone's having a, a heart surgery and the, the payer will pay one lump sum for the surgery and then also a warranty for like two years after um, for any follow-up procedures. So the, the doctor, the provider has to really take care of any complications that might occur it's one lump sum over the procedure um, so it's like a middle middle ground between fee for service and just full on capitation i do think bundle payments is better than fee for service because it's right it's discouraging unnecessary care improves quality and one study or a couple studies have shown that you know implementing bundle payments would decrease national health spending which i think is important but they've only been studied in really high margin specialty care then that's where it's shown the cost savings. When when a surgery would cost 300000 but the payer is only paying 100000 as a bundle payment. So th- th- it's really high margin care. So I don't think this would work for primary care because patients need constant contact with their doctors. There's no brief episode of care um, when it comes to primary care. What makes sense down the line is, you know, full-on capitation, which is Basically, a payer buying into direct primary care, which is already you know occurring in, in, in a bunch of places. It would be one lump sum paid to the physician per patient, and then the doctor would have to take care of the patient for a whole year. So that's something that could work for primary care. But I don't think primary care doctors will want a third party in between the relationship between the patient and the doctor. Because then, you know, the insurance companies end up having the leverage and then they can cut rates and then cut them again. And the doctors are just left in the same situation they were uh, they were in as a fee-for-service doctor. I think primary care doctors are trying to break off the relationship with the insurance companies. And, yeah, I don't think they would be open to having the kind of a bundle payments solution, or at least most of them won't. Unless they're willing to agree to paying those monthly membership fees for really long-term agreements. But I think it'll be interesting to see how how these other payment models fit in with with DPC.
0: One thing that hadn't occurred to me was was patient-centered medical homes. And it almost sounds like the direct subscription model is kind of an organic version of the very inorganically constructed patient-centered medical home.
1: So, yeah, of course. I mean, every one of these doctors is is treating their patients exactly how patient-centered medical home would be. And they're, they're just creating their practice around the patient, right? They're you get to provide care that is patient-centered, that is cost-effective, that's everything is consistent with this new medical home um, type structure where, where they're trying to cut costs and provide amazing care. And, you know, this direct payment model just only helps it, right? You don't need some fee-for-service doctor of patient medical homes. But, you know, it just works so well when when you have that direct relationship with the patient and you can handle things over the phone and you can get a text and and treat it over that. Um, So it's really just about creating that unrestricted relationship, um, which is the main difference.
0: You had said that many of the doctors which are gravitating towards the direct subscription model are very technology savvy. Is there, what kinds of technologies do you see these physicians
1: employing? Most of them will use electronic medical records, which is a big step up. Most of these doctors will also allow their patients to book appointments online. There, there's a bunch of web applications that they'll use. They'll, they'll use applications that allow them to create like personalized wellness programs for each patient and really just a personalized approach for each patient looking at their data.
0: Let's let's get to th- some advice, Allie, if you are amenable. If if I'm a PCP and I'm, I'm dissatisfied with my current situation and I'm, I'm really feeling like I need to make a, a change. If I cleared a couple of hours off off my calendar next week because I'm really interested in, in trying to figure out what my next step might look like or what my career might look like. What what should I do with that
1: time? I would first do your homework. There are a lot of direct primary care doctors out there willing to help. And and, uh, if you're considering offering a membership plan for your patients, talk to other DPC doctors. Um, You can just reach out to them, find one online. They're extremely supportive of each other. And, you know, everyone benefits from this model becoming mainstream. And also, you need legal counsel to avoid getting in trouble with insurance policies. So you'll need to do plenty of research. And then, you know, offer a direct primary care plan for your patients. Try to talk to your patients and see... You know, would they buy into this plan if you're fee for service? It's Because right, you're you're trying to bring your patient base down from three thousand to six to eight hundred. So you really want to see if you can get a good patient base. Do your homework. Figure out uh, uh, what kind of plan you would offer, what type of benefits, at what price. And you know, it's not for every doctor. It's not for every patient. But every doctor I've met absolutely loves it, and they they really see this new passion for medicine that they didn't see before. It takes work to get started, but it can be very rewarding.
0: And it sounds like after you figure out what your model will look like, your next step would be to log on to DocStop.com. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Give us a call. Visit our website. We'll list your practice, help you get patients and and accept your payments as well. So I'd love to help out.
0: And and given that, where, where can someone get a hold of you if they, they are interested?
1: Sure. You can, you can just visit our website, click the Contact Us page, hello at docsapp.com, or my email directly, ali, A-L-I, at docsapp.com.
0: I thank you so much for being on the, the program today,
1: Ali. Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: Links to DocsApp and Ali Zaman's contact information can be found at relentlesshealthvalue.com slash 20 did you know that you do not have to remember to download the latest Relentless Health Value podcast each week? You can subscribe. If you subscribe, then the episode will be automatically delivered to you in one of two ways. The first way is via iTunes. If you go to relentlesshealthvalue.com and you look over in the right hand sidebar, you will see a gigantic orange dot. If you click on that dot, you will be taken over to iTunes. And if you hit subscribe there, then every week in your iTunes library, the podcast will automatically download. If you use the podcast app, it will be extra convenient. The other way to subscribe is by looking right underneath that large orange dot to a little form there that says, get the podcast delivered to your email. If you Click on that button and type in your email address, then once a week you will get an email with a link to the podcast. It is very easy to subscribe. I'm so glad that you listened this week. Please interact with us on Twitter. We are at Relentless Health on Twitter, and that would be Relentless with only one S. So Relentless with one as Health. Please definitely feel free to interact with us, leave a comment, ask a question. would love to hear from you. And I very much hope that you'll tune in next week.